Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, save on select steel battery tools. Right now, save $50 on the FSA 57 battery trimmer set. Real steel. Find yours at steeldealers.com. With AK-10 battery and AL-101 charger, offer valid for limited time only while supplies last. See participating dealer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of the Giants huddle podcast. Brought to you by PSE&G. Energy efficiency for game time and anytime. Visit PSEG.com slash Giants for discounts, rebates, and home energy assessments. Big pod coming your way today. I will talk to Giants cornerback Darnay Holmes, Bob Papa with the head coach of the Giants, Brian Dable, and Paul Dottino and Lance Meadow talk to John Kime, who covers the Washington Commanders for ESPN. First, a reminder, go back to the previous episode right here on the John Settle Podcast and go listen to my one-on-one interview with Jonathan Vilma from Fox Sports. He's calling the game on Fox uh, at 1 o'clock on Sunday, Giants and Commanders. And we also have a draft season podcast up from earlier in the week. Go search for the draft season podcast feed on your favorite podcast platforms and go check that episode out. And, of course, you can find all Giants podcasts at Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, or just search for this specific podcast on your favorite podcast platform. All right, let's get started with our interviews today. It leads off with my chat with Giants cornerback Darnay Holmes. Darnay, man, how are you? Can't complain. Uh, in a in a blissful state, excited for the future, and just ready to get going. How'd you spend your weekend after the Thanksgiving game? Uh, really, just self evaluation. Uh, was welcoming my baby girl into the world. So outside of that, just just laying low. Congratulations, man! How is how how's fatherhood right now? Uh, just a different a different passion I have inside. I always was a passionate guy, but now it's a, it's a different drive and a different uh, fuel to the fire, in my opinion. Yeah, I have a six-month-old at home, so it gets better. It gets more fun. I have a five-year-old, too. It's a lot of fun, man. Just uh, get ready for not a whole lot of sleep. Oh, yeah. We 72 hours in. I already <laughs> got four hours of sleep last night, but in the day, I knew what I signed up for. Nah, it, and it's the best thing in the world, man. Congratulations. That's awesome. All right, and you didn't get any credit on the stat sheet for the interception, but Julian gets that. But it was your play on the ball that knocked it up that got the interception for him against Dallas on Thanksgiving. Take us through the play, the technique you were playing, and, and how you helped cause that takeaway. Yeah, that was just a, a cover, what we call it, cover two man, trail man type of technique, and pretty much uh, that's just the type of game plan we had for their uh, marquee player, C.D. Lamb, and the play, the play happened how it's supposed to happen. And uh, when you have good fundamentals and good techniques, big plays come your way. That's something that we hone on in our defensive room, and that's something that we lean upon. Now, you mentioned that's two men, so you got two safeties deep. You're playing trail, and your back's to the quarterback, right? And a lot of times in those situations, he almost threw it like it was a back shoulder, right? And a lot of times the corner will run into the wide receiver because they, they don't slow down, right? So how did you play that correctly, not commit the defensive penalty, get your hand on the football with your back to the quarterback? Yeah, so uh, 
any reporter or any guy who comes to practice early see me out there early. And those are different things that I work on each and every day. Uh, coming from a position of being at the low hip and playing through his hands if the ball is thrown above me or playing through him if the ball is coming below me. So be able to just to judge it and having that repetition in my mind. And it was just pretty much like a drill play, you know, uh, seeing it, feeling it, and just uh, playing it how it's supposed to be played. What's your key? Are you looking at his eyes? Is that Does that tell you the ball's in the air? Is it his hands that tell you the ball's in the air? What do you look at so when your back's to the quarterback, you know the ball's coming your way? It's more of his demeanor, okay. uh, his, his, his low shoulder. You know, once his low shoulder turned, I knew that the ball was coming, you know, and uh, once I understood that and I knew once I got to him that the ball wasn't there, best thing you could do is turn, turn around and uh, play the ball because nowadays if you don't turn around and play the ball, you know what happens. Flags, co- flags coming, man. You know it. Yeah, I mean, you cornerbacks don't get a break out there. It's, it's, it's very difficult what they ask you to do. And then last week, I had a feel, man, you were like, Mr. Veteran out there at cornerback with all the injuries, you were kind of the guy that's been here the longest and kind of the veteran of the group. What was that like for you getting ready for that game? Uh, it was just uh, another week for me. Uh, I would say just being vocal as always, uh, a lot of film study, a lot of tips and clips as we say in the DB room, and really just taking on the opportunity, you know, taking on the matchup, taking on the lifestyle of a DB, uh, being in my position. Since day one, I always believed that I'm a top corner, no matter where I was drafted at, no matter what the stats say, no matter what PFF says, no matter what the outside world says. Within, I know I'm a top corner, so when I have an opportunity to play against a top receiver, I take that take that very, not lightly, I should say, you know, because at the end of the day, that's that's how you show where you stand, you know, stand where it's the best. So uh, outside of that, I'm excited for whatever matchup comes my way. I like going against top guys because it just shows where I'm at, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, crafts, I craft so much. It's just a blessing to go against different guys who craft a lot as well. So to see where you line up with different people is just a, a blissful moment. And I'm going to talk to you about the matchup this week at the end. But you just talked about the DB lifestyle. What is the DB lifestyle to you? A uh, DB lifestyle is being obsessed with improvement, uh, being a person who's not intimidated by no matchup, being a person who's constantly crafting even when things are going your way, and just being somebody who's Loving the game, because uh, at the end of the day, you got minimum 50 snaps, mm-hmm. lose a couple, win a couple, and you got to be a person who who confidence and faith never fa- confidence and faith never wavers, no matter what the result is. You know, and that's something that I state each and every play, uh, no matter what happens, my faith and confidence won't waver. So at the end of the day, the guys on the other side, of the ball get paid too. Do you feel like you found your home in the slot? You've kind of been in that role this year in Wings defense. You know, injuries have kind of knocked you on and off the field a little bit earlier in your career. But do you feel like now in this system, in this position, that you've really found your home in the NFL? I definitely say I found my comfort. Uh, my plan is to be able to be a corner who's able to be outside and base and when it's nickel, move inside. Uh, and that's going back to my mentality of being a DB. You know, uh, I've never been a guy who labeled myself as a nickelback. But at the end of the day, I have the traits of a nickelback, and a lot of people don't have those traits. So at the end of the day, I'm just running with the God-given talents I have and just constantly crafting upon them. What are the things that you're trying to improve on and do better that in this system you can play outside if they need you out there? Uh, I'll say things I'm improving on just the, the execution of the technique each and every game, uh, being more vocal with different things when we're in the red zone, uh, being more 
vocal to the play caller. You know, it's a lot on the play caller out there, whoever the safety is. So helping the safety out when he do call a play, reminding him of his keys, you know, and just making sure that we complement each other, you know, because all the great defenses, they have somebody or different individual who has set assignments. You feel me? So uh, once you understand that and you study that and you have people who's willing to do that, we can take it as far as you want to take it. I mentioned this before with all the movement you've had in that DB room. Xavier hurt, you know, Fabian out last week. You lost Aaron Robinson earlier in the year. You've had guys in and out of the lineup a lot. And now Julian's calling the plays. You mentioned the play call. You're trying to help him out. What has it been like just trying to make sure all you guys on that back end are on the same page every week with so many moving pieces? Because uh, you made this point earlier. The communication and knowing that, all right, this guy has me inside so I can play outside leverage, whatever the communication is, to make sure you guys are on the same page to prevent, you know, miscoverages, big plays, things like that. Yeah, I'll say uh, a lot of early mornings and late nights individually. The early mornings comes with uh, us coming in together as a defensive group and meeting and watching. Uh, salute to our coaches. Salute to the Coach Rome, Coach Mike, uh, Wink, the coordinator, and just the guys who constantly are in – installing weekly you know each each day each coach have a different set job and they're maxing out their job you know and by us understanding what is coming in each situation we're able to play more freely and more uh fluidly so just having these guys that we have on the coaching staff is, is definitely a blessing outside of that just having the the camaraderie the, camaraderie, the camaraderie we have as a defensive group as a defensive back group and the commitment and discipline we have as individuals is uh it's, it's just it's just great I know the fundamentals stay the same, but how much does the game plan change each week with Wink based on the opponent you're facing? Uh, I would say the game plan really don't change much. It's just that people change, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in the manner of who we can or who we're trying to eliminate. And then based on that, you'll have different coverages or different assignments to take out whomever the number one receiver is, whoever is you're going to key on that particular week. Exactly. It's still the same. I'll still say, say it's still the same scheme. It's just uh, you just eyeing a different different player this week. What do you like about Wink's scheme? Why does it work for you guys back there? What I like about Wink, which flows to his scheme, is he's a down-to-earth person. He has composure. And his scheme relates to that no matter what. He's going to be himself. He's going to allow us to be ourselves, And no matter what happens, we're going to stand our ground. And that's just the way you should be in life, and that's the way our defense is. And you're, we've talked before, you're a pretty confident guy. Do you like the fact that Wink is willing to say, yeah, I'm bringing six or seven guys here. You're going to play cover one. That's your guy. Go cover him. That seems to be something that you would embrace, right? Yeah, no, nah, for sure. Uh, being a guy who grew up in in an impoverished area, the survival of the fittest, and having a, a coordinator who allow you to embody that and allow you to show your skill set and, and it's not passive and is very optimistic about his game plan allows you to get paid in this league, to be truthful. Yeah, and it gives you guys an opportunity to make plays. Wink mentioned it today in his press conference that you guys, I think, are top three or top four in terms of opposing quarterback completion percentage. Is that something you guys take pride in, that your coverage is so tight it's just really difficult for the opponent to complete those passes, especially on third downs where you've really excelled this year? Uh, I feel like as a defense back group, we really don't get too caught up in the statistics. Mm -hmm. 
but we get real in tune with the fine tuning of the craft as i said earlier in the interview and uh each and every day in individual drills we we're fine-tuning wherever our technique is wherever our fundamental is so when we do have to display that it's second nature you know and uh, when we go on that field no matter if if we rocking in mat life or no matter if we out wherever we out at we are able to embody that that confidence demeanor because we've done it over a thousand times you know absolutely all right final question before we get to the opponent why has your group, for the most part, been so good in key situations this year? Your red zone defense is excellent. Your third down defense has been excellent. It seems like when you need to make that big play for the most part this year, you've been able to make it. What is it about, Wink, you guys on the field together that allow you to make those plays when it matters most? I would say just the way things are set up practice-wise, schedule-wise, routine-wise, and being a rookie, I didn't understand that red zone, third down, and two minute is where the games are either won or lost. And those are things that we hone upon each and every day and each and every week. And going back to what I stated earlier, each coach has a set out job to elaborate upon what each opponent does during those situations. You know, so when those situations come, you got some type of nugget, you understand something. And everybody got got habits. We're, we're creature habits, you know. So by you understanding that, you're more going against the play caller than the people on the field. Yeah, if you can anticipate what's coming, even if they're really good, you know, okay, well, he's in this split. Here comes an in-cut, right? It allows you to, to, to play a lot faster, I would imagine, right? Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. And uh, even with that, like, there's been times where you want to anticipate things, but the best thing you can do as a defensive back is just be present, you know, because anticipation can lead to guessing. Sure. You feel me? So uh, I've been in those positions before, <laughs> and uh, I'm just at a point where I'm just present and allowing my uh, talents to flow, and that's when you just more, more fluid. No question. All right, you mentioned it before you like going against some of the top receivers in the league. Well, here comes Terry McLaurin. He plays a lot outside, but he's played more than 100 snaps also inside in the slot this week so I'm sure you're going to see him a little bit what makes him good what makes him difficult to cover and what, what and what makes him a good receiver uh, I would say for T catch radius is crazy uh, he could take the top off with his speed and he's a competitor no matter who he's going against he's going to be wolfing you know <laughs> and that's what I like about him uh, I don't know where T from but since Ohio State I've I, I seen him do his thing you feel me so he just a, he's a great guy. Uh, he's a competitor, and those are the type of guys you want to compete against. Because at the end of the day, it's all love, it's all respect. But when you're in between those lines, it's me versus you. Yeah, he was an old special teams guy at Ohio State, and he kind of brings that special teams mentality to the receiver position a little bit, right? Yeah, no, most definitely, most definitely. He got that dog mentality, which as a DB, that's the type of guy you want to go against. All right, let's talk about the other guy you're going to see, Curtis Samuel. Now he's a little bit different. He does, you know, he's. Kind of their gadget guy, get it in space, short passes, run after the catch. What makes him a little bit different, and what do you have to do to slow him down? Uh, he's a sudden, agile guy. Uh, he knows his strengths, and he plays to those strengths, I should say. Very good. Now, you're involved in the run game, obviously, playing in the slot. It's a big part of what you do. They got two backs, Antonio Gibson, more of their outside receiving speed guy. Then you have Brian Robinson, who's there, kind of sledgehammer that runs inside. What's the key for you guys to slow down their running game, to try to get him in those third and longs where then Wink can kind of open up the book, right? Uh, I'll say all 11 has to the ball. Uh, that's just what it is each and every week. And running out that stack, 
when 24 is in there and just just closing those gaps when eight's in there. And at the end of the day, they're going to pop a few, but stand your ground and know that you're not defeated unless you tell yourself you're defeated. Final question. Talking to Julian Love yesterday, I was asking about Taylor Heineke. You know, you look at his numbers and you're like, eh, whatever. And I, but Julian said, look, he's got something about him. There's like a spark, something he does that kind of gets the team going. He makes plays when he needs them. What is it about a guy like Heineke when you watch him on tape that kind of just gets Washington's offense rolling and makes him difficult to stop? I mean, at the end of the day, in this lead, it's hard to win. And he's a guy who wins. And that's just, that's just what it is with him. He's a winner. He's a competitor. And he's that spark to their offense. So once you understand that, it's like, how can I dim that light? <laughs> Hey, absolutely. Congratulations. Go win for the new little one this weekend, and uh, best of luck on Sunday. Appreciate you. God bless. The Giants' official connected TV streaming app, Giants TV, brings original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV is free on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire TV, and the Giants mobile app. All right, everybody, we thank Darnay Holmes for joining us right here on the Giants Huddle Podcast. Now let's turn our attention to the game on Sunday. John Kine from ESPN covers the Washington Commanders. Uh, our very own Lance Menno and Paul Dettino talk to him. Giants continue their stretch of four straight divisional games, and this week's opponent they'll be playing twice in the span of three weeks. First up at MetLife Stadium on Sunday. To get more into the Washington Commanders, we are now joined by ESPN NFL Nation reporter John Kine. John, you got Lance Meadow and Paul DeTito here on Giants.com. Appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? It's going all right. Kind of an unusual season because I'm covering a team that's winning a lot of games or winning more games than they're losing. So it's unusual. <laughs> it is indeed. And I think you guys know how that is. Yeah. We can certainly relate from covering the Giants yeah. over the last few years. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And that's what makes, right. I guess, this matchup a bit intriguing. And let's start with what you pointed out because the Commanders have won six of seven. And this has really yep. run parallel, John, to Taylor Heineke taking over as the starting quarterback. But you look at Heineke's numbers, no disrespect, seven touchdowns, five interceptions. He hasn't necessarily taken this offense by storm. However, I think there is something to be said, John, about familiarity. Last year, people forget it was really yeah. his first full year as the starter. He's now with Scott Turner for the second straight year. So how much do you think that's a product of the team running smoothly and them all of a sudden going on this winning streak? Well, I think the biggest key here is the commitment to the run game more than anything. And I think when they had Carson Wentz early in the year, they saw, they look out there and say, oh, you got Carson Wentz and this big, strong-arm quarterback, and then you have Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel throw the ball more. And they're not built to do that on the offensive line, and it led to issues. And also Wentz's lack of familiarity with this offense his first year in a new system in his career it, it handcuffed what they could do against teams that were good defensively so with Heineke they know they can't play that way they don't view him the same way as they view Wentz so they had no choice now they I think they were going to do this anyway but they really had no choice but to then commit strongly to the run and coinciding with that has been the health of Brian Robinson, the rookie running back who had been shot twice in August. I think an offensive line that has run blocking better, the health of their tight ends has improved. That all, that all makes a difference. And then you get to Heineke's familiarity with the offense, and you see it on multiple plays per game. Like we're gonna, You're going to see times where you, you look at it and you say, 
How did he complete that throw? What was he thinking there? And then other times the ball comes out on time and rhythm and he avoids not only a, a negative play, but connects on a big one at the same time because of his familiarity with the offense. And there's an example, a couple weeks ago in Houston, he hits a plant step, hits a plant step, hits ball out to Terry McCorn. If he delays a half second, he's drilled and maybe it's a sack fumble and said it was 17 yards. Last week, the first touchdown they scored on a swing pass, he dumps, he checks it down to Brian Robinson, but he gets there because of what he sees right away and knows he's got to get to the check down right away. And he does, and it gives Robinson more time one-on-one against defensive back. And it was a mismatch. So those are the areas where he can, where he has benefited them. See, when I look at Heineke, I see a guy who wants to buy himself some time and he'll hold the ball too long very often because he's got that gunslinger's mentality that if I hold the ball long enough and I do a scramble drill, Terry McLaurin's going to find a way to run a good route and I'll be able to force that ball in there and make a big play. That's what I see when I look at Heineke. You can tell me if yeah, I'm lately, wrong and you, can, and you can tell me if Ron Rivera enjoys him playing that way. Well, I think lately he's been getting the ball out more on time. I think sometimes it depends then, too. With, I think any quarterback who has any level of mobility tends to hold the ball long because they always think they can buy time to make a big play. I think when he first came in, he did make some of those plays this year, and then he hit a stretch where if you're containing him in the pocket, he can't get out, and so he's got to get rid of the ball quicker. So there is a tendency at times to do that, but I will say there are definitely times where it's kind of a yin and a yang with him because like sometimes you say that and then other times say, well, that's a, a good result of, again, plant step or hit that plant step balls out. So it's kind of, it's kind of both. And, you know, I think one thing with him is he hasn't really been making as many plays outside the pocket the last few games again, because I think teams are keeping them in there. They should want to keep them in there. Um, and then I also think there have been times where he doesn't look to get out of the pocket when he probably could. So there are times where you think maybe he should use his legs a little bit more. I mean, it's really, you know, and as far as what the coaches think, I mean, I, I think they, you know, they, Ron Rivera is a defensive minded coach. And one of the things I remember talking to him last year in the summer about this um, and defending quarterbacks like a Daniel Jones or guys like that who are mobile and how hard it is on defenses. So I think they kind of like when he does that, but it's kind of one of those almost like a case by case, like was it good here, but not here. And how do you discern which time is right to do it? So I think he's gotten better with that, but it's always going to be a part of his game because it's how he grew up. John, you referenced their shift back towards the run game over this last few weeks and how much that has coincided with the win streak. The number that jumps out to right. me is they're number one in the NFL in time of possession. They've won time of yeah. possession in 10 of their 12 games, including their last six. And I'm a big believer. Listen, time of possession is great, John. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't lead to anything, meaning if you're not scoring Correct. touchdowns, Three. it doesn't necessarily hold as much weight. So what is the value with respect to time of possession for Washington, even though you look at their scores, it's not as if they're lighting up the scoreboard here every single week. That, and that's a great question. I'm a believer, just like you, I'm a big believer in time of possession. Like you always hear in the games where you play this explosive team, it's like, well, if you're not finishing with points yep. and the other team can score in five plays, 
<laughs> what did you accomplish? So with that, you have to finish with points. When they beat the Eagles, they finished more with points. And that's pivotal because you can't win otherwise. So where the benefit for them has been, it, first of all, it shrinks the game. And, you know, you, you're, you're, you're keeping, you are keeping your defense fresh and their defense has been very good. So I think it's like, that's the biggest, if you talk to those coaches, that's the biggest thing they'll talk about. And the players will talk about how they, you know, the defensive guys will say, well, they keep us fresh. And that's, that's the number one thing for them. I also think that they haven't played, and again, Minnesota, they played Minnesota, good offense. And they, you know, they did a pretty good job holding them. They only scored 20 points. And so it's really, if you play, I will say this too, like if you play good red zone defense with that strategy, then it can work. I think if you get in a shootout, well, clearly you're going to be in trouble because they don't have that ability with, with Heineke, a quarterback, to really play that way. So you, it's, it's shortening the game. And the other thing combined with that is, um, you know, field position, right? And I think with their punter, Tress Way, who's having a really good year, I think that makes a big difference. So that's where they can help him, help them. Um, but yeah, I, I, ordinarily, I agree with you. Like, you have to finish with points. But because they really always haven't been, it's kind of working. Um, but I do, you know, if you're playing, you're going to play Philly multiple times. Well, that strategy is only going to work a few times because they, they've shown that ability to have the quick strike. You know, Dallas as well. So, you know, it's limited, but it's working right now. What's interesting to me about it, John, is that even though the running game has been going well and it's obviously helping them win a lot of games lately, still for the season, they're only at about 36% on third down conversions, which is in the right. bottom quarter of the league. And, and that, that's usually not something that you can keep living by. Correct. I mean, trust me, there are a lot of times you kind of look at it and say, how are they going to keep doing this? Now, lately, they've been better on third downs. A lot of that, they had a stretch early in the year where they were just abysmal. I'm talking like, you know, 15 for, you know, 50 or whatever it was, like really, really bad on third downs. With the run game, and I'd like to go back and check the numbers over the last six, seven weeks because I think it's better than that um, because they're usually in third and more short and manageable situations. And early in the year, it was a lot of third and longs and it led to sacks, it led to other issues. And it was just a problem But they, because the run game commitment, it's shortened that. So I think for the season, it's not great. I, I would venture to say over the last six, seven weeks, it's better than that. I don't think they're going to be top half because it's just, I think that's who they are, but if they can squeak out a few first downs every drive, um, I think they feel pretty good if they can flip field position and play that way as well. But yeah, no, it's, that's the hard part it is if you aren't better on that down, then it is hard to sustain um, unless you're picking them up on first and second down, which they always aren't, but you know, I think, but yeah, it's, you want to be better in that area. Of course. We're talking with John Kime who covers the commanders <laughs> for ESPN. John, obviously the offensive line fits into this equation and, you even talked about one of the reasons why they wanted to go back to the rushing attack is to protect this offensive line versus pass protection. It's been a group they dealt with some injuries, specifically at center. It looks like Wes Schweitzer, who is one of the guys at center, is due to maybe returning him from IR. Trey Turner has popped up on the injury report there, right guard. What's the overall status of this unit entering this week? And what do you attribute to why this group has held up for the most part during this rise? 
Yeah, good question. And as far as like Wes Schweitzer, Wes Schweitzer is a natural guard. He was playing center because they kept getting their centers hurt. And he went there earlier this year because the center they have now, Tyler Larson, was not available. He, had, he was coming off an Achilles injury. If Larson had been available earlier this year, Schweitzer never would have gone to center. So he's better as a guard. So they're going to get depth back at guard. As far as Trey Turner goes, early in the year, he was really bad. And, I mean, he was just – he was bad. It was, there were some mental mistakes, but also a lot of just getting beat. But he also missed all of camp with a quad injury. When he came back in the last several games, much better. But I also think they started using more power runs the last several weeks, which played to his strength and the strength of the other guard, Andrew Norwell. They're just they're, – they're not great out in space, but you get them moving forward, they're going to be better. And some of those duo run blocks, right? And, and then that, that has helped in passes. I mean, if they have to sit back in third and eight, you know, you're not going to, they're not going to want that. This, this staff is not going to want that at all. I still have doubts there. As far as what they might do at guard if Trey Turner doesn't go, they have second year um, Sam, Sam Cosme, who was starting, who is their starting right tackle, but he hurt his hand and had thir- surgery on his thumb earlier this year. He had, the, he had his ca- a cast out for a while, recently came back a few games ago and is rotating at right tackle with Cornelius Lucas because he only has use of three fingers on his left hand. So they didn't want to put him in there full time because of that, but he's a really good run blocker. So if Turner can't go, Cosme would shift inside to right guard where I actually think he's better suited than right tackle, but it would be his first game there. And you're talking about the strength of the Giants is that interior, right? I mean, those are two really good um, defensive tackles. So I think you're going to want someone like him in there, but it would be if he plays, it would be his first game there. So it's been a group that's very much been in flux all since training camp opened. They've always had to deal with something, and they kind of get used to it. Um, But I think what they've done better is how they've used them. And I also think, too, what's also improved lately is, again, the health of the tight ends, which has led to better blocking from the tight end. That can't be underscored because that's a big part of what they've been doing well. They'll use a lot of tight end action on their like little slice blocks, what they call them, you know, coming back across the line, some pulling action from the tight end. They've been pivotal as well. So that's helped the offensive line overall as well. You know, John, uh, we've gone now quite, quite far into this pod and haven't really even mentioned Terry McLaurin, who – I, quite mm-hmm. frankly, probably have more admiration for him uh, than, than any other player because we all know he's getting the ball in a big spot, and yet he continues to be clutch and produces in every which way man- manageable. Yeah. From, from watching him all the time like you do, what, what is it about him that makes him the most dangerous in the most critical of times? Um, first of all, he's highly competitive, <laughs> and, and he's tough. So I think you take those two factors and that's going to be, make a difference right away. Right. And then I think like in certain situations, you know, for example, you, the couple of plays you're taught, you're probably referencing to the, the, the play against Indianapolis where Heineke basically throws it down the field. He's open by five yards in the end zone, but the ball is under thrown. So McClellan <laughs> has to work back yeah. and just basically out muscle Stefan Gilmore for the ball. And that's, that's, you know, not that Gilmore doesn't want it per se, but you know with McLaurin how fiercely hungry that guy is to make plays. And he's also smart. So, like, for, you know, the other thing is in um, the week before against Green Bay, there was a pivotal third and eight, 
where Heineke, again, he's almost, he's, and this is where the familiarity comes. He's going to be sacked. McLaurin is not even broken yet, but, but Heineke knows where he's going to get to. So he just throws the ball. McLaurin works back for the ball. Now I say that because I say specifically that because early in his career, he talked about how one of the things he felt he had to work on was working back harder for the ball. So he made it a point of emphasis for himself. So the way he self-evaluates his game to work on things, the contested balls he wanted to work on, the coming back for the ball he wanted to work on and get better at. Because of that, I think it makes him more dangerous in those situations. And I think the other thing, too, like you watch him in some key spots, he'll run a slant. They love running the slant and the digs to him. But he gets open because he runs routes well, and he's not tipping things off. And the slant, you have to, you have to, if a guy's playing off him, he's going to sell the go ball. And then he's just going to cut inside because he's got you. And then his, he's just strong enough and he uses his body well to make sure that, you know, you're probably not going to get it. So that, those are just some of the things as well. But it, it, he is, it's, it, to me, it really starts with competitiveness. I think he's smart. Um, and then he's a good route runner too. So. Certainly a big test for the Giants secondary, given the fact that they have several injuries that they're trying to work through. And right. speaking of the defense, John, that brings me to the Washington defense, because you look at this group statistically, they're pretty much top 10 in just about every important category. And I know we're going to get to Chase Young and all the talk is the front group and what they've been able to do, specifically the defensive line. But I actually want to talk about the loss of Cole Holcomb, which I don't think has gotten enough okay. attention. He's their leading tackler at linebacker. They've been without him the last five games, yet you look once again, their ability to stop the run has been solid. What has Jack Del Rio done to help overcome that loss, and why haven't we seen a significant drop-off? It's really asking good questions here. I'm very pertinent once to what this team is, so I'm, I'm very happy that you're to, to talk about this because I, I think it's all directly important to what this team is doing. With Del Rio... Part of the way they've adjusted, um, first of all, they use a lot of five defensive linemen looks. So you can go five D-line, one linebacker, and that's Jamin Davis, the second-year linebacker out of Kentucky, who was a first-round pick last year, who was slow to develop last year, has really taken a big step this year. So that's one reason why they've offset is because you can play him in that role. A year ago, they could not have played him in that role. And now they can because he just he's better. Um, so that's one way they've adjusted. The other way is they use three safety sets a lot, much more than they use like three corners, much more. And that's because those are their best defensive backs. And like, so they have Cam Curl, very good, very good, strong safety who can also play in a, in a deep, deep, you know, cover two look, right. Then you have Derek Force, a second year guy who has done really well in the backfield. He can go single high. He can play two half. But then you also have Bobby McCain, who is a converted corner, but is a, he's small, but he's physical, but they'll play him in the slot. So the way, and I'm getting to all that because I think that's the other way you offset some of that loss. By using the three safety sets, you can put Cam Curl in the box as a de facto linebacker slash safety and, um, and help that way, right? Now, John Bostic has been playing for Holcomb, not as good as coverage. He's not as athletic as, as Holcomb. Good against the run, but that's about it. He can be exploited against the pass. Um, so that's where you, it's, like, it's really hard to offset Holcomb's loss when you're going to a rate, just a basic set. But there are other ways that they've done it. And it's really by using use of personnel 
um, and using what they have um, that is a strength. And again, five D-line, three safeties. We might as well go right to that D-line then now, John. I mean, Chase Young at the moment as we're taping this uh, seems like he's iffy. <laughs> Excuse me. Iffy. If, <laughs> if he comes back, what do you expect from him in this game? Figuring that he's missed 20 games because of the ACL, he's probably going to be on a pitch count anyway. Are they better right. off maybe just not having him back in and playing a healthy Smith-Williams, who quite frankly, to me, is obviously the weak link on that line if he's in the lineup? Yeah, well, here's if Chase Young returns, and you're right, it's very questionable. Last week at this time, they felt optimistic about where he was headed. And it's not like there's been any setback. I think what they haven't seen is him showing the confidence in his knee that they want to see. It's not a medical thing right now. It's more, it's more mental. Where, can you get back? You know, do you trust yourself with that knee? Do you trust engaging it with 300-pound linemen and, and, and going as hard as you had? So that starts there. If he returns, he'll, he'll be limited to about 12 to 16 snaps. And so it's only going to be situational. I think where it helps you this week is when you have a quarterback like Daniel Jones, you want those athletic ends because, like, you know, I'm watching um, the Lions game and watching him routinely run the zone read around ends who cannot react to him. And, like, you need that. And so Chase Young can do that. He can, you know, if you want to play, just say, hey, go attack the mesh point and, and then make the play on the, you know, whatever, you know, make the play on the quarterback and route to the mesh. He can do that. So like that, but I, but I also don't think he'd be, I think if they use him this week, I think it'd be more of a situational pass rusher and he's still obviously very dangerous. But the question then is like, to your point, I don't know. We don't know what he's going to look like. I know what he looked like last year. He was not rushing the way they wanted. He was doing kind of doing it differently and it wasn't effective at all. He also was no, nobody on that group for a long time was really playing as a group. They were more, individuals playing and sometimes those individuals do well but as a group they would not well they're playing much better as a group right now how is he going to fit into that you know like they've really established a good rhythm with um, up front with the with the stunts and whether it's coordinated stunts or improvised stunts they're working well together does young fit into that or is he going to be so amped up to get some sacks and make up for lost time that he's going to be playing you know a little bit more selfish i don't know and I think that's one thing that they don't know either. I think they're listening to him and hoping what he's saying is going to manifest itself on the field, but we really don't know. But if he's right, he does give them an athletic end against a quarterback who can move, and that's always a good thing. And you're right, like Smith Williams, I think he's done a fine job, but he's not Chase Young. You know, he's not Montez Sweat. He's a, he's a good backup for them, and, and now it improves your depth when, when Young is in there more full-time. That won't happen for a little while, though. John, speaking of the dynamics of the Washington defense and trying to slow down a mobile running quarterback, Mike Kafka, the Giants offensive coordinator, he was asked the other day about the fact, well, Washington just played Atlanta and Marcus Mariota. Right. And do you feel is that a good litmus test for what they're going to then have to deal with you and Daniel Jones and company this week. And he felt that they defended Atlanta pretty well. I think Mariota, had six runs for 49 yards. I'm curious, A, how do you think they handled Mariota? And B, how much do you think timing may actually work out as an advantage for Washington here? I don't think they defend. Well, it took a while for them to adjust. The last couple of times, the last time he ran it, 
they defended it very well, and that was inside the red zone. So, um, but it was because James Smith Williams attacks the mesh point earlier. They played it terribly against the zone read. So now I, you know, and it's funny because Washington fans are kind of freaking out like, Oh yeah. You know, Mariota's legs, they scored 13 points. So despite all that, they only scored 13 points. And I'm watching like, you know, Daniel Jones again, again against Detroit where he seemed like he rushed pretty well and only scored 18 points. So I, but I, having said that, it is a weapon for them, and it is something they, they have not always defended him well in the past. So yep. my thing, my thing is too, it's almost a benefit to Washington. Like last week, to me, kind of warmed them up for Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is better than Mariota, and um, you know. But as far as like, okay, remember this is what happened last week. You've got to play it this way because this guy does the same thing. So it felt like it was like it may have been like a good scout team look what they'll face Sunday. But, you know, if you run it right, you, you still can fool them. And they, they do a nice job with bringing the tight ends around to lead them around. And, you know, um, so even if you play it a certain way, the tight end might be at a block. But I think it's probably more to Washington's benefit that they just saw Mariota and can be reminded that if you don't defend it right, this is what can happen. So I know, like, when they play Jalen Hurts, their goal is, make Hertz make a fast decision, get the ball out of his hands. Cause he's really dangerous with it in his hands. I don't, you know, I don't know that they're going to do the same thing with Jones, but I do like, I think if I'm them, like attack the mesh point and, and make, you have athletic ends who can do that, attack it and make a play on the way to that. Right. So, um, you know, but I think it's to their benefit that they just saw Mar- Marcus Mariota. John, let me give you a, a kind of a generic question. Big picture. We both look at these teams as teams that, to this point, have played it close to the vest, have relied on their running games, have basically played, you know, ball security football. Even though Washington has a more impressive statistically defense than the Giants do, the Giants' defense, for the most part this year, has been good in the red zone. They've been good on third right. downs, and they they've been able to squeak out an awful lot of wins. Are there going to be right. any surprises? from either team this week is either team going to open it up and fling it or are we going to see something that we don't expect or is this still cage match going to come to fruition and we're going to wind up seeing a 20 to 17 final i think we're going to see that i think we're going to see a game that might take two and a half hours because of that um so i if this team tries to open it up they're going to lose because that's not what they're built to do with the offensive line. I think now having said that, if they, if they throw more than 30 times, they're in trouble to me. Um, unless you're just converting 10 out of, you know, a lot of third downs, whatever. But if they're trying to play that way, I think they're going to be in trouble. Cause again, I, I would be concerned with that line holding up over time against in that kind of situation. But where I think they can hurt them is those play action. Listen, if I'm an opposing offensive team, I'm taking advantage of like a guy like Jalen Smith who's going to bite and take false steps, right? That's what we saw in Dallas. And, you know, can you get him on some – I think you can. So I think they're going to try some of that. First down play action throws. Um, if, if you hold off that, that pass rush, the, you know, as we know, Martindale is very aggressive. If you hold that off, then you have a chance for some chunk plays against that secondary but you got to hold it off. And if you don't, you're putting yourself in a really bad spot. So I think 
they're going to try and limit the bad spots and win the way they've been winning. It may just be that they throw the ball more effectively versus more often. He is John Keim, who covers the Washington Commanders for ESPN. It is the first matchup of two in the span of three weeks as the Commanders are going to have a bye in between both of their meetings with the New York Giants, with both teams battling for one of the final playoff spots in the NFC. John, can't thank you enough. Greatly appreciate the time and the insight. We look forward to the steel cage match this Sunday and look forward to talking down the road. Thanks for hopping on. Thanks, John. Thanks a lot for having me on. It's going to be fun because when the NFC East is like this, it's so much better for the NFL. But thanks a lot for having me on. You got it. Our pleasure. And if you want to attend that game, Giants and Commanders, on Sunday, go to Giants.com slash tickets to reserve your seat today. It's the Giants' second legacy game. The team will be in their throwback uniforms from the 80s and 90s. And the stadium will be branded in throwback designs, including an exclusive collectible pennant for the first 30,000 fans. Limited tickets are still available. Go check it out. Giants.com slash tickets to check out the Giants and the Commanders on Sunday at 1 o'clock at MetLife Stadium. We thank John Kime. who gave us a great preview of that game. If you listen to that, you know it's going to be a, a tight, close game with two uh, very impressive teams taking on one another at MetLife Stadium with a potential playoff spot on the line with three NFC teams, the Commanders, Giants, and Seahawks battling for the final two wildcard spots. All right, we thank John Kime. We thank Lance and Paul. Let's head to our final Part of our podcast and our final interview, our very own Bob Papa, the voice of the Giants, spoke to Giants head coach Brian Dable. Giants take on the Washington Commanders MetLife Stadium, a good old-fashioned NFC East showdown. And as always, we're joined by the head coach of the New York football Giants, Brian Dable. Coach, you take a look at this Washington team. You know, over the last eight games, they've been so stingy defensively. This front that they have is pretty awesome. What makes them so effective working as a group? Well, I'd say number one is their talent. Um, they're all high draft picks. And I'd say number two is their, their technique and their tenacity in which they play. They really set the tempo for their entire team, and they cause issues both in the run game and the pass game. Yeah, I mean, over this stretch since week number six, they're only giving up 15 points per game, and they, they're taking the ball away. Uh, a lot of talented players there, but let's focus on your team a little bit and – you know some of the positives, because there's always things you can take out of a out of out of a performance and and build off of, and even though you came up short against Dallas, the positives that you saw in that game that you bring into this game that you've reinforced with your team. Yeah, I've I've liked the way our guys competed since day one, uh, since we've gotten here, and you know they're a gritty group. Um, you know, it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to turn out, but you know each week they they prepare, they practice. And then ultimately, we got to go out there on Sunday and, and execute, um, you know, the things we need to execute, both as coaches and players, to to put ourselves in a chance to win. And you know, we've had a, a few of these where we haven't. And we've had, you know, some that we have. And I think the the mindset of each player and each coach in this in this room is just to improve and um, you know focus on the things we can control, which is you know our preparation. And then really study our opponent and the things that they do well. And, you know, ultimately it comes down to, to executing for 60 minutes. Coach, um, over the last couple of games, you haven't been able to get the run game going, most notably with Saquon Barkley, to the level that you had. 
what are some of the things that you contribute that to? A lot of moving parts, the injuries that you've dealt with, um, because I know that's a staple for this football team as far as being successful and staying on schedule offensively. Yeah, I mean, there's been some good things that we've done and some things that we can certainly improve on. Um, you know, the things we haven't been getting, we haven't been getting those big ones, um, which always contributes. And that's really the running game in the NFL. There's, it's going to be ones and twos or zeros and usually early on in the game. And, you know, you got to continue to grind it out. And, you know, hopefully one of those are going to pop for a 30, 40-yarder with, with a guy like Saquon. Um, but, you know, it takes all 11 guys to execute the play properly. And um, that's certainly something we've been working on. Daniel Jones, um, he's had success against Washington over the years, but each year brings a different set of circumstances and a different set of stories. Just talk about his leadership and you know some of the, the things that he has to do to help lead this team to victory. Yeah, well, first it starts with good decision-making, um, whether that's in the, in the run game with the check with me's or the pass game, throwing it to the proper person, um, taking care of the football and then executing in critical situations, whether that be third down or red zone. Um, you know, he's been a very consistent guy for us. Um, he's been a good leader for us, and we're going to need that, um, you know, for this game. Coach, when you take a look at these one-score games, um, your team has been involved in nine of them. You have seven wins. Um, Washington, when you take a look at the way their games have unfolded, same kind of thing. You, both your teams play to a profile. Is this sort of a game that is just a battle of wills, of who can stick with it the longest and and stay the most consistent over the course of the game? Yeah, consistency and execution. Um, you know, they're a good football team. They're they've been on a good streak here, and you know, I think we're a good football team too. Um, you know, it's going to come down to you know, again execution for for sixty minutes. Uh, making the right plays when they come to you and, um, you know, staying as consistent as we can and, you know, making plays in critical situations, whether that's the end of the game, a third down, red zone, and then, as always, taking care of the football and trying to get the football. And the other thing, too, Coach, is you're getting some reinforcements back, at least, um, you know, as of this recording, um, and that's got to bolster the lineup as well to have people back that are coming back fresh, and it just helps on the depth all across the board, doesn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, if you can have as many good players out there as you can, that, that always helps. Um, you know, and our guys have been working hard to, to get back to this point, and, you know, hopefully they'll be ready to go. Coach, best of luck. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate you. That's Giants head coach Brian Dable. We thank him for joining us right here on the Giants Huddle Podcast. Thank you again to John Kime. Thank you also to Darnay Holmes for uh, three excellent conversations today to talk some Giants football and to get you ready for the game coming your way on Sunday. For everyone, I am John Schmuck. Again, go check out previous episodes of the John Tuttle Podcast, my interview with Jonathan Vilma, the previous episode, and, of course, you have Bob Poppas, Poppas Perspective with Sean Landetta talking about a couple games in 1986 against the Washington Commanders. For the guys, I am John Schmuck. We'll see you next time on the Giants Huddle. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like... Whoa. And... Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. 
From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, save on select steel battery tools. Right now, save $50 on the FSA 57 battery trimmer set. Real steel. Find yours at steeldealers.com. With AK-10 battery and AL-101 charger, offer valid for a limited time only while supplies last. See participating dealer for details.